0: Chapter Twenty of Fairy Fingers by Anna Cora Mawet Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter Twenty, The Incognita. Maurice arrived in Washington without having apprised his father of his purpose visit count tristan received him with ill-concealed embarrassment but the young vicomte was too ingenious himself and therefore too unsuspicious of others for him to attribute his father's discomposure to any source but surprise at his unexpected appearance If Maurice noted an absence of pleasure in the Count's constrained greeting, he was too much accustomed to the formal and undemonstrative manners of the aristocracy to dwell upon the lack of warmth. The Count had taken up his residence at Brown's Hotel. He chanced to be sitting alone when his son was ushered into the drawing-room the opportunity was a favorable one for maurice to communicate to his father the object of his visit after the first salutations were over he inquired rather abruptly have you seen mr hilson what does he say in regard to the probabilities that the railroad will take the direction which we so much desire all prospects are tolerably good returned the count but we need to exert ourselves and possibly you may be of service the committee that has the decision in its hands consists of nine persons out of these four have declared their preference for the road to the right and are immovable our friends meredith and hilson who are on the committee vote of course for the left road then there are two rival bankers mr gobert and mr gilmer who are bitterly opposed to each other and generally vote in opposition one to the other we must bring some agency into play which will induce them for once to vote alike that seems indispensable but is it possible questioned maurice i trust so mr gobert is of the marquis de fleury who exerts unbounded power over him one word from the marquis and gobert's vote is secured the marquis as every one is aware can always be approached through madame de fleury obtain her promise that we shall have mr gobert's vote and it is ours the marchioness i fear may not have forgiven Bertha's rejection of her brother's suit but as both parties are still unmarried and unengaged if she can only be convinced that Bertha's refusal was a mere girlish caprice, and that there is still hope of the young duke's success, she will be ready enough to serve us. But is there hope? inquired Maurice, quite innocently. The wily Skiber replied, by a glance half angry, half contemptuous, but, without making any other answer, went on the other banker mr gilmer i am seeking the means to influence i have no doubt that i shall find them the ninth member of the committee is mr rutledge quite a young man the only son and heir of a washington millionaire i learn from monsieur de bois that mr rutledge is deeply enamoured of the sister of lord linden i beg pardon but you have not yet told me who lord Lyndon is and it is so unusual to hear lords mentioned in this country that my ears are quite attuned to the sound of a title another hasty look from the count might have been interpreted into one of slight disgust his son was far more americanized than he could have desired he went on with increased haughtiness the english ambassador to the united states married the sister of lord linden and his lordship and a younger sister accompanied them to washington mr rutledge expires to the hand of this young lady so says m de bois who is intimately acquainted with her brother if she can be interested in our plans the vote of mr rutledge is easily secured maurice could not help laughing it is in reality the votes of women then that are to determine the direction of the road i ought hardly to be surprised at that for if they have feeble voices in other lands they have very decided ones in america but how is the young lady in question to be reached that is what i am pondering upon resumed his father i shall form some plan you may be sure and no time must be wasted in carrying it into execution i have already ventured to touch upon the subject to lord linden but have not said anything definite it is a difficult affair to conduct delicately yet the obtaining of these votes is of such vital importance that we must strain every nerve to secure them "'Certainly, since it will more than treble the value of the property,' "'observed Maurice placidly. "'By the by, I presume you have no occasion to use the power of tourney which I gave you. "'Just at this moment it is very fortunate for me that the estate is wholly unencumbered.' "'The count grew ashy pale, but Maurice did not observe his change of colour, "'nor mark the hesitating tone in which he replied—' "'Very fortunate, of course, very fortunate indeed.' "'And then, looking at his watch, he added, "'It is time for your grandmother and Bertha to return. "'Lord Linden and Monsieur de Bois escorted them to the capital. "'You must be impatient to see them.' "'In regard to this property, Mr. Laurelard informs me,' "'resumed Maurice, but the Count interrupted him. A visit to Madame de Fleury is now the first step to be taken. There you may be useful. You are such a dedicated favourite of hers that your advocacy may be inestimable. Suppose you call at once and learn at what hour she will receive your grandmother, Bertha, and myself. A visit from you will open the way. I will call with pleasure, answered Maurice i have a letter from monsieur lorillard to his friend mr emerson which i would like to deliver without delay it is a matter of business mr lorillard thinks that as my estate is wholly unencumbered oh we may talk of it that at another time replied the count hurriedly suppose you pay your visit to the marchioness at once it is hardly worth while waiting for the ladies no one can tell when they may return maurice though he could not interpret the count's singular manner could not even remotely divine the meaning of its abruptness and confusion felt himself checked in his proposed communication he experienced no uneasiness he had not the faintest conception that the count was dealing doubly with him, and that his very first act on reaching Washington had been to mortgage the estate of his son for so large an amount that, but for the advent of the railroad upon which he confidently calculated, the mortgage must prove ruinous to the interest of the landholder. Had Maurice been aware of this fact, he would not for a moment have contemplated delivering to mr emerson mr lorillard's letter in which it distinctly stated that the property of the vicomte was without lien further discussion between the father and son was prevented by the entrance of the countess accompanied by lord linden and followed by bertha and gaston dubois maurice as he saluted his grandmother was gratified to observe that, albeit her air was by no means less stately, it was more satisfied and complacent. Though titled nobility had no native existence in the semi-civilized land, she rejoiced to find that it was sometimes imported. She had at last encountered an individual with whom she could associate without derogation the french as all the world knows have a national antipathy towards the english but a nobleman even though he chanced to be an englishman was hailed by the countess de Gramont upon american soul as a godsend lord lyndon was not aware of the compliment implied by the unwonted graciousness of her demeanour and the tone of almost equality in which she addressed him maurice comprehended the altered expression that softened his grandmother's countenance but was struck and amazed by the wonderful radiance of bertha's face her eyes shone as though a veritable sun lived behind those azure heavens and almost annihilated their color by its brightness her lips were eloquent with a voiceless happiness they did not care to hide yet could not speak the laughing dimples played perpetually about her softly suffused cheeks her elastic feet almost danced, so airy was their tread about her whole presence there was a buoyant glow that seemed to encompass her with an atmosphere of light and warmth she had not attempted to disguise her joy on again meeting gaston dubois and though he paid them repeated visits during their sojourn in washington there was always the same deepening of hue upon bertha's cheek the same flood of sunshine brightening over her face the same softening of tones of her voice the same quickened rise and fall of her fair bosom when he approached and he did he not notice these betraying indications of his own power did they strike no electric thrill through his rejoicing soul if they did he was too much bewildered by a happiness so unexpected to search out calmly the hidden meaning of these precious signs the change in deportment and character of m de bois which we described at its commencement was now fully confirmed and though the blood still sprang too rapidly into his face and his breathing grew labored with emotion and his manner especially in bertha's presence was slightly confused it was now the confusion of elation rather than embarrassment the self-control he had acquired had almost overcome his propensity to stammer and bertha was unreasonable enough to half regret that she could no longer finish his sentences and thus prove how instinctively she divined his thoughts maurice greeted her as was his cousinly wont after a separation with a kiss on either cheek but for the first time she shrank from his touch and her ingenuous eyes involuntarily glanced at gaston then were quickly cast down and the multitudinous ringlets that had as usual escaped from bondage were a welcome veil "'as they fell over her face. "'Why, my little Bertha, has an absence of four years "'made you forget that we are cousins?' "'asked Maurice, in surprise at her manner. "'No, no,' she answered, shaking back the curls "'and looking up brightly in his face. "'I am rejoicing that you have come to Washington. "'It is a delightful place. "'I am charmed with everything I see.' Did Bertha reflect how much the charm of a locality depends upon our own internal condition? Was she aware that any place, however tame and dull, becomes delightful through the presence of one who creates in us a state of receptive enjoyment? Maurice expressed his intention of calling upon Madame de Fleury. Lord Linden and Monsieur de Bois proposed to accompany him. The three gentlemen took their departure together, but soon after they left the hotel, Maurice changed his mind, and, telling his companions that he had some business to transact, which required immediate attention, apologized for leaving them, adding that he would call upon Madame de Fleury an hour later, and hoped that he might have the pleasure of meeting them there monsieur de bois proposed to lord linden that they also should postpone their visit as you please answered his lordship languidly i am perfectly at leisure i will go wherever you are going it does not matter where i am indifferent to place lord linden always was at leisure and always indifferent and not unfrequently attached himself to gaston de bois and seemed disposed to accompany him wherever he went his lordship was one of the vast race of blasé young noblemen whose opportunities of enjoyment had never been circumscribed except by the absence of a capacity to enjoy and who as a natural sequence were continually oppressed with a sense of satiety, enervated by the noonday sunshine of unbroken prosperity, and thoroughly weary of their own existence. When his brother-in-law had been appointed ambassador to America, he had accompanied him to the United States with a vague idea that he would be thrown in contact with warlike tribes of Indians, the Aborigines of the Soil whose novel and barbarous usages might afford him some mediocre measure of excitement, we need hardly picture his disappointment. The ambassadors from foreign courts and their suites were, as a matter of course, thrown into constant communication with each other, and the secretary of the French ambassador and the brother-in-law of the English formed an acquaintance which ripened into an approach to intimacy there was no particular affinity between them but lord linden liked monsieur Bois's company because he was a patient listener and lord linden was the opposite to taciturn and gaston though he sometimes as in the present instance felt his lordship an encumbrance had too often been a victim to ennui "'to not sympathize with his fellow-sufferer. "'Mademoiselle de Merivale has a remarkably attractive face,' said Lord Linden. "'I do not particularly fancy blondes. "'There is too much milk and water and crushed rose leaves in their general make-up. "'But if a blonde could, to my eyes, "'enter the charm circle of the positively beautiful, "'I will give her admission.' gaston who had fallen into a pleasant reverie was quickly roused by this observation and exclaimed with indignant intonation not admit a blonde into a circle of the beautiful can anything be lovelier than the countenance you have just looked upon yes replied the nobleman musing his turn "'I think I could show you a face that would make Mademoiselle de Merivelles sink into the most utter insignificance.' "'Is your beauty a Washington Bell? inquired Gaston, half scornfully. "'I do not know. I do not know anything about her.' "'I merely spoke figuratively when I said I could show you, but I certainly could not at this moment.' but i allude to the most peerless being that ever captivated the eyes of man in her indeed one could realize the poet's thought all beauty compassed in a female form and who is this incomparable divinity asked gaston still with a touch of sarcasm in his voice who is she that is more than i know myself we were thrown together by an accident quite an everyday occurrence in this headlong rushing pell-mell neck-breaking land where the people contemplate railroad catastrophes and steamboat explosion with as cool indifference as though they were a necessary part of a traveller's programme you were thrown in contact with your beauty then by a railroad collision or thrown together through the bursting of a broiler remarked gaston interrogatively and more because civility seemed to demand the question than because he took any especial interest in the narrative yes quite a stirring incident i felt alive for a month after i was traveling from new york to washington in such a listless and used-up state that in my desperation i seriously pondered upon the amount of emotion that could be derived from jumping off the train at the risk of one's neck as i was glancing restlessly around suddenly a face rose before me that riveted my eyes it was a countenance unlike any i had ever seen though features and outline were faultless in these the least part of its beauty was embodied there was an eloquence in the rapid transitions of expression that melted one into another there was a dreamy thoughtfulness in those magnificent hazel eyes they were not exactly hazel either they reminded one of topaz i hardly know what name to give to their hue but it is useless to attempt to describe such a face and a form I might heap epitaph upon epitaph, and then leave you without the faintest conception of the bewildering loveliness of their possessor. You succeeded in becoming acquainted with the lady? inquired Gaston, now really interested. That good fortune was brought about by one of those ill winds which, for the proverb's sake, must blow good to someone it could not have been accomplished by any effort of my own for there was an air of quiet dignity about the lady that no gentleman could have ventured to ruffle by too marked observation far less by presuming to address even a passing remark we were about half-way between philadelphia and baltimore when suddenly a terrific shock was felt followed by a dashing of all humanity to one side of the cause and a great crash we had run into another train and were thrown off the track and in a moment more upset since you were longing for excitement observed gaston this agreeable little variety must have gratified you yes it was well enough in its way not being positively fatal to existence You must conceive the confusion and the difficulty of getting upon one's feet. How the people scrambled out of the cars, I do not exactly know. For a short time, I was too much stunned to see anything distinctly. I remember nothing clearly until somebody helped me up, and in trying to move my left arm, I discovered that it was broken. How unfortunate! And you lost sight of the lady.' It would have been unfortunate if I had lost sight of her, but I did not. The passengers were huddled together in a most primitive inn by the roadside. There I beheld her, moving about quite unharmed, quieting a child here, assisting a young mother there, doing something helpful everywhere. There chanced to be a surgeon in the cars who, happily, was uninjured he saw my predicament for i was suffering confoundedly and upon examining my arm said that it must be set at once he called upon several persons to aid him some were too much occupied with their own distress some too bewildered and some shrank from the task but to my supreme joy it was worth breaking an arm for for such a piece of good luck the lady I just mentioned came forward and offered her services. She tore my handkerchief and her own into bandages, produced a needle and thread from her little traveling reticule, and sewed them together. She assisted the surgeon in the most skilful but calmest manner what could i do but express my gratitude this was the opening to a conversation we were detained several hours at the inn before the train arrived to take us on our journey i had always detested these american cars where all the travelers sit together in pairs but now i rejoiced over them for i had managed to obtain a seat beside her we conversed without pause during the whole way to washington and what propriety and good sense she evinced. Her beauty had deeply impressed me, but her conversation struck me even more. Such elevated thoughts dropped spontaneously from her lips, and so naturally that she did not seem to be aware that there was anything peculiar about them. It was enough to drive a man distracted. I confess that it did me. She came to Washington then yes and here we were forced apart i begged that she would allow me the privilege of calling to thank her in the most suave ladylike but resolute manner a manner that silenced all pleading she declined but she had inadvertently admitted that she resided in washington that has kept me here ever since i have been searching for her these six months and you have never met her again no i have sought her in the highest circles for from her distinguished and even aristocratic air her exceeding cultivation and good breeding i infer that she is a person of standing it was somewhat singular that a lady of her unmistakable stamp should have been travelling alone but that is not unusual in this country In spite of all my efforts, I have never been able to encounter her again. I examined the strips of the fine cambric handkerchief with which my arm was bound, hoping to find a name. Upon one strip, the letter M was daintily embroidered. I have those strips yet carefully preserved. Do you think she was an American lady? No, assuredly not. Though she spoke the English language very purely, and as only a scholar could have conversed, a slight accent betrayed that she was a foreigner. French or Italian, I imagine. If only I could behold her once again, I should not be so miserably tired of everything and so bored by my own existence. Washington is killingly dull. By the way, the Defleries give a grand ball this Monday i hear that there is great anxiety prevalent in the beau monde on the score of invitations of course mademoiselle de merivale will be there her face must create a sensation what a good piece of fortune it would be if i could see it at this very ball contrasted with that of my lovely incognita there is a day-dream for you i never attend a ball or a large assembly without a vague anticipation of finding her in the crowd i should like to hear your candid opinion if you saw those two faces placed side by side the response which gaston made to this remark and which expressed certain convictions of his own was not uttered aloud it is one of love's happy prerogatives that the countenance best-beloved gains to the lover's eye a charm beyond that with which any other face is endowed even when he is forced to admit that dearest visage is surpassed in point of positive calculable tangible beauty a man may love a woman perfectly and yet by no means ignorantly maintain a thousand women have not larger eyes enough that she alone has looked at him with eyes that, large or small, have won his soul. End of chapter 20